Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. But first... Oh, is that you? Um. <laughs> or do you want to do the first? You no, do the butt first. You do butt first. I do the butt first. No, it's got to be your butt. Your butt first. All right, three, two. But first. Welcome to the Voice San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Scott, what's up, pal? Nothing, thank you. And fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villapaña. What's up, Lopez? What's up, Lewis? Coming up on this show this week, this is our final episode before the June 7th primary election. We're going to break down the big races in the region and go through them, our favorites to talk about, the candidates, the stories, what led us to where we are, and what to watch now on Tuesday night. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria has said that he would take a more compassionate approach to cleaning up homeless encampments, but something appears to be shifting. City crews uprooted an East Village encampment with very little notice. The mayor seems to be taking an even tougher line than his predecessor. We'll try to understand what's happening. And finally, Andrea has her finger on the pulse of the city of San Diego's vendor ordinance. It's not actually in effect yet, even though it's supposedly in effect. She's going to dish on the latest on that decision and what it means for micro-businesses and neighborhoods. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Are you surviving San Diego's winter? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have a light jacket on. <laughs> May Gray and June Gloom. Let's have this out. We have to have this out. I just want, I'm happy to have it out, but just so you know, we do this on this show every year. We do? Yeah. So as far as, like, if you, I just want you to know that... In, in terms of things being settled, they won't be. But go ahead. Say your piece. The marine layer that presents itself in June and May of every year in San Diego is not a bug of San Diego climate, but the actual feature of it. Mm -hmm. Our climate is so attractive and valued by people, not because 
we don't have that, but because we have that, it protects us from the searing, devastating heat that is that that uh, our our brothers and sisters in Phoenix are dealing with right now. You know, I actually had never thought of it this way, and I realize that that is why all of our tourism brochures depict a gloomy, <laughs> overcast day, people wearing sweatshirts in June after school is already out for the summer, avoiding the beaches because it's just uh, windswept. And, well, and no, you know, I do realize now that this that there's a reason that this is yeah. such a big part of our marketing yeah. of our region is I, because it yeah, is good so job. objectively good. Good job. Let me just point out, you have you just made a great point, actually, which is that we should keep schools going through June and keep them closed through September. I come from the radical perspective that the reason our language uses terms like cold to describe people that we dislike. Yeah. Or uh cloudy to discuss a bad mood. Uh-huh. Gloomy. Is indicative I I is, yeah. is indicative of the way we feel about that weather uh-huh. as a collective. Uh-huh. And that the people the the burden of proof is really on you maniacs who are out here saying with a straight face bad weather is good. You guys <laughs> you guys are stalinites <laughs> demanding that the world simply accept your inversion of reality. All right, and you've it's, heard, un- it's unfair. Lopez, you've heard both sides. Where are you at? I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it makes getting dressed annoying, but yeah. I mean, I like the sun, but I also like when it's a little gloomy because then blazers come out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all about the fashion here for me. Yeah, no, I would like to wear mesh shorts and a t-shirt mesh tank top. And, a, and, a, and a tank top every day. It would be ideal for me. <laughs> Julianne would not be happy. She'd be unhappy if I reported to the office in such manner. That's This is your final reminder. We're heading to Chula Vista next week for our first live podcast in years. Next Thursday, June 9th, we'll be at Novo Brazil Brewing in Chula Vista. We're excited to see you there. We'll be with guests, Chula Vista Council Member Andrea Cardenas and Steve Garcia of the Emo Brown Podcast. Get your tickets now at vosd.org slash events. Yeah, this is going to be good. We had uh, a few people check in and say like, why do you got Andrea Cardenas on there? And it's like, she's going to, you know, she's got this or that or whatever. You, you, you're giving her all this love. I, it's like, we got, we can ask her tough questions. We can do all, all we want. Let's have fun. Let's have a good conversation. Get there. And you can't be like, oh, I wish you were at the whistle stop. It's so easy. And it's where we're at. Get your butt down there. Let's say hi. It's, time. it's beautiful. It's, it's really, a nice space. It's so nice. Okay, yeah. It's good. huge too. It's really cool. All right. Cool. See you then next week, June 9th. Seems like every few months, every few weeks, we get back onto this topic. It is the topic on the front of every voter's mind. What is happening with the homeless crisis in San Diego, the unhoused population in street encampments, and the mayor's policy or lack of policy or plan about what to do with that? Every few months, it seems like it's a similar conversation. The numbers are bad. There's it's unclear what exactly we're doing here. Is he going to be more of an enforcement guy or a housing first guy or what's happening with the encampments in the streets? And it's, it's basically just worse than it was a couple of years ago, like vastly worse. 
and nobody seems to know or have any hope about what the plan is going to be. So we keep track very closely on what we see. And this week we got another data point about what direction we might be heading in. And that seems to indicate that the mayor has taken a much more hawkish approach to what's going on. So a few months ago, they decided that they would do routine sweeps, cleanups of these encampments, right? They would t- they'd say it's going to be every couple days on these days. You need to like be ready. Tuesday, Thursday, I think. Right. And we'll clean them up and you just be ready for that. Well, what was it? Thursday, uh, Wednesday in East Village, they just went in with a three-hour notice instead. And some of the advocates and such that were watching it said it was a more violent version of what they've done before. Lots of tickets, very little regard for people's walkers, uh, personal effects, and all that. Both sides of the street at once seemed to be uh, like a meaningful distinction to, to people who you know, live in this environment often. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I so I, I thought of the old Gloria approach or what they were trying to sell us as what their approach was, was sort of a needle threading exercise between housing first and a more enforcement laden approach. And they, you know, they, they, they euphemistically referred to as like compassionate enforcement, mm-hmm. right? This was, mm-hmm. um, I think that you further drew out of them in a piece you did earlier this year about what the encampments have, have done to homelessness, that this sort of regular cleaning was meant to be disruptive enough that it made the encampments ever so slightly less attractive because you were going to have to be, you were going to be roused every once in a while. And that that would maybe tick the needle towards shelter living away from tent living. And it always seemed like too clever of a distinction to really make for a meaningful policy difference. And I, if, if what we uh, allegedly... I don't. I don't mean to cast doubt. I just didn't see it. But yeah, this was, by the way, in the Union Tribune report uh, yes. by Gary Warth. So the Gary Warth report on Wednesday, which was well sourced, had a lot of people who saw it happen. Uh, described as they described it. If that becomes the new normal, I think it would be safe to say that the Gloria administration has shifted its approach, and they're going, they're abandoning the idea of a compass, compassionate enforcement model, and they're just leaning into an enforcement model. They're just recognizing that we've added all these shelters. Now it's time to force people to either get in the shelters and to get in the shelters and get off the streets. Yeah, I would say even like the quotes from Gloria in that piece were really interesting. Interesting. One of them. Word, but, I have it here. He says, we cannot tell our children that yeah. we prefer them to walk in the middle of the street in order to surrender our sidewalks to folks who want to encroach on them. This is using more like belligerent language, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't. Belligerent sounds uh, judgmental. It's like more. No, it's, uh, it's still like it's surrender. More, it's, it's, more ju- it's more. It's more judgmental. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and like I, th- I think like adding in like the kids element. Yes. Um. Just I don't know. It's I. Th- I feel like before we were seeing different kinds of statements, but now this statement things just like seems it's more, inhumane. Yeah. To to say this is a fine place to live after all. From time to time, a car comes careening off of a street, and people die that way. And so, it is not no, compassionate it, to allow people to layer. This is this is surrendering the the language of compassion mm-hmm. and saying and putting the the subject on a child who's yeah, been like forced we to walk cannot the have our children do this. Yeah, you know? yeah, but it also like it it also presents 
them as almost invaders of the sidewalk, right? Like, yeah, yeah. like yeah. They're, that they've encroached and we're not going to surrender to them, that they're almost attackers, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned the piece I did before, and part of what that was was about just identifying and, and trying to explain that the tense changed everything about homeless, which meant that, you know, if you could find tents and an encampment and a supportive, in your mind, community, then that changed the calculus that you didn't feel like getting under a roof was as important anymore. Yeah. And that, in fact, the roofs that we were offering them were not attractive at all in, compared, in comparison to the encampment. And that for us to address this problem, we're going to have to change that. And I was kind of hoping that they'd come up with different options that would change the calculus to make it more attractive to get off the street because the enforcements they were doing didn't seem to do anything except move them around more and expose more people to what he's worried about these children being exposed to, right? Right. Instead, they've they've decided to really double down on the other option you have in that mate, which is to make it l- so much less comfortable to have the tent encampments that that calculus goes back to where any roof might be better. Is yeah. that fair? I think, yeah, I mean... I think to put a point on like what happened this week, I, for previous weeks, it's odd to dis- to describe homelessness conversations in this city as um, anything new. Like it's been so a part of our civic dialogue for so many years, but it really had started to feel to me in recent weeks and months that the sense was setting in that this was not only horrible but getting worse and that there was no plan to fix it and it kind of seems like a switch has been flipped and that they've decided to to change course in some way and that you know I'm I, I won't pretend to know whether this will work or be more humane or help have you know have trickle down effects or whatever the the policy outcomes here I, I don't know but it does seem that the approach has changed Mm-hmm. And also, uh, as you pointed out, Andrea, this this is a invocation of the community. It does seem like he's identified that the that the community, that neighbors, that people walking. He's, the article talks about Perkins Elementary students. That those are the students that he's talking about had to walk in the middle of the street because of the filth on the sidewalks and the security situation. Like they're if they start invoking imagery like that, that's and and if the community responds to it, that's going to be a whole I think different dynamic for the politics of the situation. All right, well, you can catch up on everything we've done on homelessness at VOSD.org slash homeless. That's VOSD.org slash homeless. This is a crisis. I don't think we have any better reporters working on it than uh, Arlise Halverstadt, Jacob Guinea, you, Andrea Lopez Vifania, otherwise known as Lopez, <laughs> uh, and whatever you and I can do as well. This is a big problem in the city not getting better and uh, we'll give it as much attention and information as possible Andrea my neighbors uh, in Ocean Beach are very interested in seeing the impacts of the new street vending ordinance I know that there are people who sell things on the street that are worried and interested in it as well what is happening? Are they they're not in effect yet because of a delay or something? What's going on? Yeah, it's kind of weird. So the ordinance that they approved says it would start June first, but 
because it, you know there are some delays with like changing things and doesn't really go into effect until June 22nd. All right. So we had a kind of laissez-faire in the streets and parks for a while where basically if you wanted to sell food, whether it's tacos or fruit or whatever, you could. If you wanted to sell sunglasses, you could. If you wanted to sell anything, you could anywhere on the streets because the state had said you can't just outlaw these things because people are trying to make a living and it has to be really clear that you're outlawing it in certain areas for health and safety reasons. Mm -hmm. You can't just not have them to protect established businesses or something like that. Right, or you just don't like them. Or you just don't like them. And so since then, there was no ordinance and the efforts had kind of swung and missed to pass one. Now they passed one and it's supposed to come into effect, So, but it's not yet. Yeah, so it officially starts... June 22nd. Um, But the city is going to take a little time to make sure that all the vendors out there, again, the whole purpose is not to criminalize street vending and street vendors. So they're going to take a little time to let people know, hey, like this new law is in effect and this is what you need to have. And so a lot of like educational outreach and also, um, you know, just making sure people know that they need to get these permits. So if you've been selling sunglasses on the sidewalk somewhere, you're going to have a cop come tell you about it or you're going to have a code enforcement or? Yeah. So a big part of this ordinance was to, you know, keep SDPD out of it. They already have a lot on their hands. And also you wouldn't want an officer to reach out to community members of, you know, street vending are often uh, undocumented or people of color. So, you know, minimize that impact. So they're actually having development services and park rangers um, educate people and approach people. There are also some nonprofits offering education on street vending rules. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but it's happening. Nonprofits huh? being the business associations in uh, the neighborhood? The Logan Heights Community Community Development Corporation. Uh, oh, the they're offering, yeah, they're offering some, some um, courses on, you know, what's going to happen with this new law. But one thing, which will probably not make your neighbors happy, um, is that for those communities in the beach area, they will have to wait for the Coastal Commission to okay ah, the rules. the Coastal Commission. <laughs> the triple C. These guys. Yeah. You, uh, you know, the Coastal folks have a real love-hate relationship with the Coastal Commission. Yeah. Uh, it protects their beautiful coast, but... Eh, Delays things. Doesn't... What they they they're coastal when they're passing something that they would like to go into effect immediately, it's yeah. bad. Yeah. And when somebody is passing something that they don't like, or when somebody is trying good. to build something that the coastal commission yeah. is stopping, yeah. they're it's into good. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so in a lot of ways, it's exactly like interest? literally every person's view of every procedural issue. Right. Which is if I like it, if it's I, good. If I like it, it's good. And if I don't, it's bad. <laughs> What's the coastal commission's interest in that? Access to the coast, I guess, for vendors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen, so we'll see. But I'm for the vendors, they'll have to, um, you know, get a full-on permit, business tax certificate, and if they sell food, they'll have to go through the county to get food permits. So it's a long process. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, let's talk elections. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. 
Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Guys, it's election day coming up Tuesday. If you've been holding on to your ballot, now's the time to grab it and get it to work. All you have to do is get it in the mail before election day. They will have to count it. That's part of what takes a while for the count to occur, by the way is that if your ballot got in there before election day itself, there's several days after that it can be counted. So just get it in. But if you want to be part of that first count, get it in now. huh? So let's start. We've got a, several races we wanted to go through. We're going to start with the sheriff's race. Got any predictions? No. So the basic issue, we have three candidates. Kelly Martinez, she's the number two at the sheriff uh, sheriff's department right now. She is the under sheriff. I mean, she's... The sheriff, there's the sheriff, and then she's under the sheriff. And then there's uh, Dave Myers, a former sh- uh, deputy sheriff. Uh, both of them are Democrats, both converted to Democrat-ism. Yeah, that's the right term. <laughs> uh, in the last uh, few years, obviously, Dave Myers a little bit, uh, several years before that. So um, then there's John Hemmerling, a former Marine. Now, he is was is was a Republican, then left the Republican Party, then became, became a Republican again, got the Republican Party endorsement. He was the chief prosecutor, leader of the criminal division at the San Diego City Attorney's Office until just recently when he abruptly retired. Yes. And he abruptly... Effective immediately, as most retirements go. Yes, he just decide immediately to retire. As of the sending of this email traveling through time and space into your computer, I no longer work here anymore because I'm retired now. Just so happened to coincide with his unendorsement, he had been endorsed by the San Diego Union Tribune for his. <laughs> Did you just shudder? I got I said the word San Diego Union Tribune, and she shuddered. You have a good memory of your former employer. What happened? <laughs> no, that was that was not related to anything. No, it, oh, it certainly felt like it was related. <laughs> I, if I was at the UT, I would be offended by what. Yeah, just happened. that was. <laughs> So uh, this was interesting. So Hemmerling had been caught or had been recorded saying that he was sort of mocking the San Diego County recent decision to pass a resolution on women's rights, right? And and included a, a rather broad definition of who can be considered a woman. And he mocked the implication that somebody who's trans could be considered a woman. And that because the supervisor's cast that vote it would be the supervisors who would be supervising the next sheriff 
in the any sort of enforcement related to whether trans women could use bathrooms. Right. And in people's children's. And also in jail jail, situation and prison situations where uh, he might have some jurisdiction that would cause problems. So this was in a very conservative audience. He was playing to the crowd. Right. The Union Tribune's editorial board was uh, upset. They called him and he didn't really back off his comments. I think it's fair to say he sort of said he said he he did consider them women and but. He didn't apologize for what he said and didn't sort of backed off. I don't know. It was weird enough that they retracted, retracted his their endorsement of him. So that was interesting. And then we all wondered how his boss, San Diego City Attorney Mara Elliott, might react to those comments. And then he abruptly resigned his position. He said retired. he just did that. I'm oh, sorry, retired. Immediately. And his answer was as to why he did it immediately wasn't because she had talked to him and said, maybe you should leave. Right. No, he said he'd been thinking about timing for a while. I said, did it have anything to do with the comments that led the Union Tribune to rescind their endorsement? And he said, many issues, not specifically that one alone. No. Okay. So I think it's fair to read that implication that that was one of the issues. Can we just say that that's that's now the second or third in this uh, whole race of these uh, version of these comments that are like, come on. Yeah. So can I do the other one now? I'd love you to. So speaking of endorsements, Dave Myers had been endorsed in the past by the San Diego County Gun Owners uh, PAC. This was a group, probably the most prominent group locally, advocating for access and uh, firearms-related rights. And he had been supported by them before. It, uh, it Then he started criticizing Kelly Martinez for getting their endorsement in this race. And I, my eyes... My eyes and ears perked up like, well, that's interesting. Why would you do that? In particular, he was criticizing uh, her support of or lack of condemnation of the ghost gun availability and that they should really go after the people and not the ghost guns. And that that lined up perfectly with San Diego County Gun Owners Association, who sued the city of San Diego's new laws around ghost guns, these unserialized um, firearms that you can build in your home based on stuff you order off the Internet. Right. Yeah. So I checked in with them and asked them, you know, why they didn't endorse him again for sheriff. And I checked in with him. They said that he asked for their endorsement. Yeah. And advocated for it aggressively, even after they sued on this ghost guns thing. Right. And so I asked him what, what, what the deal was with that. And he said, no, 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 I did not aggressively seek their endorsement. I was merely asking for the executive director, Michael Schwartz's, personal donation. That's why I was texting him so much and asking him for stuff and talking to him about policy, because I wanted his donation, not his group's endorsement. endorsement. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting comment. I yeah. might put in the come on file. Yeah, fair. I think that the last, uh, come on, is is Kelly Martinez, who we asked why she became a Democrat. Was it have anything to do with Trump or whatever? She's just kind of like, no, just time. It was just time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it mostly, there were a lot of people who changed party in the last six to eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I should say the last six years, really. And... Uh, 
I think as time has passed, it got harder and harder to believe that it was because they were appalled by something that was being done by Republicans at the national level. And so to wait until November of 2020 to decide that you've had enough means you put up with quite a lot of stuff (laughs) along the way. (laughs) Uh, As someone who can't vote. How do you go about changing your party? Is it like a long process or <laughs> no. is it like, oh, uh, I don't feel like being this party anymore? And it is a, it takes maybe a minute and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it, not time then. No, no, no it wasn't a burden <laughs> logistically. No. <laughs> that, like, that would like, make more sense. You know, yeah. you're like, no, it's not like moving. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. No, that'd be funny if she's like, well, it was, it was a laborious I, process. I had, to, I, had to, I had to call all my friends and bribe them with pizza to like help me move from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. <laughs> um, so the, the, there's four other candidates Charles Battle, John Gunderson, Juan Carlos uh, Mercado, and Jonathan Peck, but none of them provided the registrar with candidate statements. Now, we made that point in a story, and one of them wrote us saying, yeah, but it costs like 15 grand to get those statements in, so you should note that. Okay, noted. Yeah, You didn't pay the money to get your statements in. So I guess- <laughs> Noted. No, <laughs> officially noted. I think that the question to watch on Tuesday is which two candidates move on. None of them are going to probably win 50% or more of the vote. And so which to get through Kelly Martinez and Dave Myers, that would be interesting to Democrats. Uh, John Hammerling has the support of the Republican Party, but hasn't raised as much. Will he get in, though, um, and have a Republican Democrat sort of situation and um, any other combination be interesting? Who do you think it's going to be? I don't know. I think I think Kelly Martinez probably does because of the institutional support she has. Mm-hmm. I think then the question is whether Dave Myers and John Hammerling get in. And I can see an argument for both. Yeah, I guess I'd believe any combination of those three. But, yeah. But probably Martinez does have an advantage just on institutional support. Yeah. But Myers does have the support of the Democratic Party, yeah, which may which be is more significant. Significant, yeah. yeah. Right. All right, Lopez, you are uh, in the district that uh, David Alvarez and Georgia Gomez are battling to represent in the, in the California Assembly. Have you st- still been seeing lots of mailers? No, they kind of stopped a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I think I stopped seeing some of the aggressive mailers too. Yeah. It was more positive. Like I got one from the Democratic Party and then a couple other ones. Yeah. Uh, Andy, you did a piece about how this race represented not only the way uh, politics is now with the Democratic Party being dominant, but how that also ended the friendship between Alvarez and Gomez. What did you want to get at? Well, that was it was striking to me just because... Basically, the entire time I've been a reporter in town covering local politics, I've covered both David Alvarez and Georgia Gomez, and that has overlapped with multiple races for both of them, in which time both of them were involved in those races for each other, and clearly seemed to me to have a real friendship. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I asked Georgia Gomez was like, was I mistaken there? You know, you never, as a reporter, you never really know your subjects that well, Not a, you know, every, there's a... There's an agreed upon fiction of us all being very friendly, but we're not. And so I said, were, are, were you guys actually as good of friends as it seemed or was I missing something? And she said, no, we we really were friends. I really did have a real relationship with him. I, you know, in 2010 for his first city council race, I used to 
go in and, and volunteer for him at 6 a.m. before I went in to do my, my 9 to 5 job with the EHC. And I did the same thing during his mayoral race. And I took formal leave time to help with his mayoral race in the closing days of that election. I, I, I really genuinely cared. I was on his kitchen cabinet and he recruited me. We, were, we had a real friendship. And that the way this race has played out, she said basically uh, that things are said in a campaign and she can live with that. Two people running against each other, that's the business they're in. But the way this race has, has played out made her question the person she thought she knew during that, that time when they were friends and that she no longer considers him a friend. Interesting. And he actually wouldn't speak to you about the piece, uh, right. but you did settle on the storyline that this was, it wasn't maybe that they were the same and something's changed, that they, that they might still be the same that they were. It's just that the Democrats are now so dominant that the difference between Democrats has been thrown into sharp relief. Yeah. When the political spectrum includes a wide swath to the right of the center, the distance between two people on the left side of the center is going to look smaller mm-hmm. than when you crop out everything to the right and you focus in on the remaining people that in te- that are composed entirely of the left. So those those small differences become big differences as the political battleground here shifts. And as he wants to win, he is courting what might have been a more natural support for him anyway with uh, more right-of-center interests, business groups and folks seeking to hold back on regulation, all that sort of thing. Yeah, and that part is does seem very Like he's emphasizing it more than he would ever have before. Well, and maybe the, pers- the group that deserves more scrutiny there isn't him, but those business groups, those business groups who were absolutely brutal to him when he ran for mayor against Mayor Faulkner. Yeah. Um, they called him a job killer. They, you know, had pictures depicting him waving money around and saying that he was intended to essentially take money from white wealthy neighborhoods and give it to poor brown neighborhoods. Um, these were mailers that were widely regarded as racist at the time and and were clearly. And so um, he was called a job killer for supporting a Barrio Logan plan that's functionally identical to the Barrio Logan plan that passed last year with no significant changes. Um, the only thing that changed was the amount of political capital and support that the groups uh, that would have otherwise opposed it had at that time. They had the ability to say no before and they didn't this time. So suddenly what was once a job killer became uh, mundane and, and acceptable. Um, and so as things have changed, the business groups seem to have changed their disposition towards David Alvarez. But if you go back and like look at everything he's said and he's voted for, I don't know how much he has specifically changed. I mean, for instance, one specific thing is he, his campaign has included a lot of stuff about protecting neighborhoods from rising crime. Um, And he hasn't said anything about Georgette in this regard, but the police officers association has had absolutely brutal attack ads about Georgette Gomez for comments she made on this show specifically about supporting defunding the police. Um, now, Alvarez hasn't said anything about that, but he has said, I'm here to protect neighborhoods, sort of a, a, a softer version of that. Right. Um, but you go back to him in 2010 when he ran for city council the first time he said about District 8 the community that he represented for two terms, the community that he's largely w- working to represent right now. He said police response times are not fast enough here. Police services are not good enough here. 
The people in my district want more police. They want faster response times. They want better police service. And that's what I'm here to give. So he has a long history of saying that more police and faster police responses are the answer to better quality of life in his district. So that's not new. Um, it's more the political world around it that has shined a different light on that, that same position. Mm. Well, in uh, a largely overlapping area, especially with the new district for Assembly District 80, and let's clarify something. You get to vote in this, if you're in the district, in two different parts of your ballot. That's not a mistake on your ballot. You're doing A, you're finishing the vote for who should finish the term that Lorena Gonzalez had on in, in that term, right? So she was in the Assembly representing this district, her term ends at the end of this year. The first vote is who should finish that term. The second vote is the primary vote for who should take the next term that begins in January. Of and, which two people will move on to the November election. Right. So you have to make that choice twice. So there is a chance, as we discussed before, that one of them could win the seat now and the other could win the seat going forward but they would be recognized as the incumbent going forward. So there's an advantage to get that done now. Right. All right. That's the second place, by the way, that happens on your ballot. You also have to do that in the state U.S. Senate race. Yes. Uh, Alex Padilla is the current incumbent. You have to decide whether he should finish the current term and whether he should be reelected. Correct. Or elected for the first time he was appointed, right? Yeah. All right. So next up, Chula Vista. You did some work on this, Lopez. Uh, so do you have any predictions on, so the big question is which of the five candidates move on? We have Amar Campanajar who ran for Congress for a few years there. Spencer Cash, an army veteran. Zanita Encarnacion, she's the chief of staff of Southwestern College's president. We have Councilwoman Jill Galvez, Councilman John McCann, and former city councilman Rudy Ramirez. So do you have any prediction on which? It's a big which, group. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it seems like any two of them could go or... I don't know. There's a couple that are less likely, but yeah, yeah. I see like certain combinations, maybe, but I mean, there's a couple people that I could probably, you know, write off. But I don't know. It's it's weird, and I think the the people that you might put together also sometimes don't make sense, especially when you talk to residents. Like I've like I've mentioned before, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, I've asked residents about. Uh, Zaneda and you know do they support her and a lot of them are like well I don't know who she is and you know obviously she's like the choice from you know a lot of South Bay leaders big big elected officials who support her but that doesn't always translate to the voters also supporting them mm -hmm. um, you know Amar he's got the name recognition and he's got some firefighters that yeah show up you know he's got <laughs> endorsements but then again, like some people feel a certain way about him. So I don't know. I really don't know. This is going to be a really interesting race. Mm -hmm. So Chula Vista has gone through a lot of leadership turnover and residents are kind of sick of hearing the same old things. Um, is there any like bigger dynamic that could change with this? Well, Chula Vista residents are voting in for a new mayor, but they also have um, some council district seats open and um, a city attorney. So you'll have a lot of new leadership coming in. So it'll be interesting to see. So we'll digest the results at our candidate or our um, live podcast. Yeah. Come check week. that out. Hear some more about what's Hope. important to people in the South Bay. All right. Remember, don't be too moved by the initial results. If there is a race where there's a clear leader 
and then there's two people and, and vying for that second spot in a runoff. If they're not, if the one person's not ahead by like more than five points, be really reluctant to chalk it up as a win because things can really change as the votes get counted over time. Do you want to hear something interesting on that point? Yes. I talked to Paul Mitchell today yes. over at uh, Political Data Information. He's a data service that most campaigns who have enough money pay for uh, information about ballot tracking, voter information, that sort of thing. Um, I asked him about whether the old rules apply, which the old rules that you and I grew up covering local races here, Scott, were that there would be a blue shift over the course of ballot returns. Uh, the Republicans would come in with early leads that would get chipped away. And the question was whether their lead would be big enough to hold as mm -hmm. the day of votes came in. Yeah, because it used to be that Republicans were way more into mail-in voting yes. than Democrats were. Right. Despite what they say now. How, that was how overwhelmingly the case. Or, or uh, less accusatory, uh, male voters were predominantly white wealthy and old mm -hmm. who did happen to who be valued more the convenience of and valued voting. the convenience of mail voting um that all changed in 2020 when president uh, former president trump uh invented the fictional idea that there was some sort of voter fraud associated with mail ballots uh, just a, a completely baseless conspiracy theory that he doesn't believe because he votes by mail and the <laughs> former republican party chair here tony kavarik who uh, repeated those lies uh, also voted by mail. So no one actually believes that. As every did person, Issa, right? right. Every person who says that says so in bad faith. So you can dismiss those people. However, those people have had the effect of poisoning the well for mail ballot voting for Republicans. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what Paul Mitchell told me is that he his group did some polling about six months ago before campaigns really ramped up and asked Republicans and Democrats, are you certain you plan to vote on election day? as opposed to by mail. And about 37% of Republicans said, yes, I will only vote on election day. And about 7% of Democrats said, yes, I will only vote oh, on election wow. day. So it's a complete reversal. But here's what he had to say. What's fascinating about that is that's one thing to have the intent that I will only vote on election day in 2020 when the last two days of an election and election day itself are going to be wall-to-wall saturation media coverage about the biggest election anybody's ever seen. It's in SNL. It's on pop culture. Everywhere you go, everyone's talking. Your social media feed, everyone you know is talking about the election. It's something else when you have right now a relatively boring election without any marquee races that you could very easily wake up on Wednesday morning and go, oh, I forgot yesterday was the election. I meant to vote, but I didn't. Or you could even, it's so boring, as Paul Mitchell said, you could wait, wake up a week from election day and go, oh, was last week election? I forgot about it. So holding off your vote until election day, combined with a really boring election that's easy to forget about, could easily mean many of those Republicans who have been turned against vote by mail simply don't vote at all. As he said, is the most powerful form of voter suppression is to tell people, that their votes don't count. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, so it's one, it's an open question whether we'll see any sort of uh, Republican push or conservative push as the day of ballots come in. Fascinating. Well, on that note, we don't see a very big Democrat versus Republican dynamic in the San Diego City Council District 2 race. That's the other one we're really watching. Mm -hmm. So uh, the incumbent, Jen Campbell, is going for re-election. She's had a tough time as as uh, she she's gotten a lot of big things passed the the vending ordinance the short term vacation rental 
ordinance. The uh, she did get that height limit removed for Midway, but then that didn't stick. But still, big things happen. However, she did also get ousted as the council president and has weathered a lot of very difficult and extreme criticism from coastal residents in Ocean Beach and other places who do not appreciate things right now. Right. It's tough. It would be a tough job to be the city council member for District 2. I would not do it. No. Don't worry about that ever. All right. So there's Jen Campbell. Joel Day is running. He used to work in Mayor Kevin Faulkner's administration. He was the guy who helped coordinate the initial effort to open the convention center as a homeless shelter during COVID. He is running as a Democrat. He's a college professor. He wants that seat. Uh, Lori Saldana, former assemblywoman for the area, uh, also a professor at the community college. She is running and wants to represent district um, again. She's also run for county supervisor and mayor and Congress and had uh, not had any success there. But her name recognition is very high. And Mandy Havlick is a uh, community activist member of the community uh, planning board. And Linda Lucas, she is a Republican. She had maybe the most money spent on her behalf in the race. So could be a dark horse candidate to get into that uh, final as well. So a lot of people do not like her. You managed that or helped manage that debate where there was a lot of folks out there upset. But it does seem like Campbell should be able to get through the primary. The question is who goes with her. I mean, it'd be... It had been 27 years, I believe, in 2018, 26 years in 2018, since an incumbent had lost any city council race, just every single city council. Just losing. Just losing at all. To not advance through the primary as an incumbent would be uh, a a new new terrain. That would be new terrain. Yeah. So that's what to watch. There's lots of other things going on. Other city council races stick around for us next week. Again, live podcast in Chula Vista. Uh, We will be going through all of that. You can check out that event at VOSD.org slash events. VOSD.org slash events. We'll go through some of the results, talk about the future of South Bay politics and other things on our mind. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego and the only one going live in Chula Vista next week. Get your tickets for our live podcast now at VOSD.org slash events. That's VOSD.org slash events. The link will be in the show notes. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is uh, managing editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.